Have you ever given up on an idea because you found out it's already been done? We have, multiple times, but was that the right thing to do? In this episode, we talk about competition, why it's actually a good thing, and what competition really means for founders. This is Hit Reply, Episode 7. Hey, and welcome to Hit Reply, the podcast that gives you an inside view on what it's like to start a startup. I'm Fred. And I'm Mike. And in this episode, we will be talking about competition. So let's start off with a story. This is one we shared in our book, Learning to Launch, which is available for free at learningtolaunch.co. And the story is of our first real light bulb idea. It was back in 2009. Remember, I was sitting at my desk. I was at a course where I was doing some design stuff and I was just daydreaming and it occurred to me that I love reading. I'd like to keep tabs on what I've read. I'd like to add a quick review. I'd better see what my friends are reading and see their reviews, what they're recommending, so I can find something new to read. And it all came together and I was like, oh, well, what if there was a Facebook for book readers? That'd be really awesome. Yeah, and I remember that you'd like you'd text me during the day to say, like, you've come up with this really cool idea and that you'd call me on your way home. And when you called me, like, you explained what it was. And I was like, yeah, no, that does sound really, really good. I'm not as much into reading, but that sounded something that was cool and it was something that I wanted to work on as well. And, like, we were really protective over the idea as well, yeah. coming up with code names so that no one would steal our awesome idea. It was a good code name, though. It was Blackhawk, and I think that's a good code name, as code names go. Strong code name. So after the phone call, I went home, and I remember that weekend writing out all the different features that I thought this should have, all the different pages that we'd need, the contact page, the about page, the page for your profile, all these different pages and the different parts that I needed you to code up. So in total, there was about six or seven pages worth of what I thought back then was pure gold. It was this master plan, the blueprint of how we were going to make this really important, successful product that people would love and would make us tons of money. Yeah, and from that point on, we jumped right in and we started coding, started designing pages, figuring out exactly how it was all going to work. And it was a couple of months in, I think, when I kind of posed the question to you of, well, has this already been done? You did check, didn't you? Yeah, and I had checked. Depending on your definition of having checked. (laughs) I had Googled it. So I wasn't lying when I said, yes, I had looked. I remember a few months before when the idea originally came around, I did a quick Google search. I think it was pretty much Facebook for readers. And the top three results didn't have what I wanted. So I closed the tab and moved on. Yeah, I wasn't quite happy with that. So I went on to do a quick search for myself. And like literally the first search came up with Shelfari which three years beforehand had already been sold to Amazon. And then we also came across a couple of other ones, like Goodreads, which coincidentally had also been sold to Amazon. It's almost like Amazon were trying to buy out all of these services for book readers. Yeah, which makes sense. That totally knocked the wind out of our sales. I think we pretty much on that day just stopped working on it. So like the day before, we were still quite motivated working on it. You do your Google search, find out these two things, then we stop totally. It's it's gone. Yeah, it was immediately dead to me at that point. But that's obviously not the way that we should have been looking at it. You know, we were asking ourselves, you know, well, are we the first person to do this? But really, we should be asking ourselves, what is the problem that's actually being solved here? Okay, there's competition, but that's fine. How can we solve the problem better? Totally. We saw things back then in the wrong light. We thought that competition was killer, but really now we've realized that competition is just a form of validation. And uh, if no one's trying to solve that problem that you're trying to solve, then it's probably not a problem worth solving. It's probably something that people don't care about enough. 
Yeah, and we spoke about something similar to this uh, a couple of episodes back in Jobs to be Done. And it's about looking at your competition and saying, well, actually, not all your competition is actually in the same space as you. Even breakthroughs we see where we say this is a new thing that hasn't been done before, like, say, email, that was in one sense an iteration on the postal system that people used to send physical posts. And then they were like, oh, hey, we've got the internet. Let's send posts via the internet. And like before the post, there was like the telegram. And before that, there was other stuff. So nowadays, we don't see competition as an issue. We see it as a form of validation. If no one's solving your problem, then it's probably not something that's worth solving. It's not an issue that someone has got that is worth taking the time to find a solution for. If it is really a problem that someone's going through and struggling with, they'll find a solution, even if it's using a manual solution that's patched together that doesn't really do the job very well, but gets the job done. Yeah, I mean, if you take like Slack, for example, so that's something that we both use on a daily basis, especially when we're both at work, we use it like at lunchtime to be able to chat and things like that. Before Slack, there was HipChat. Before HipChat, there were other kind of instant messenger services, but there's still email. Totally. And Paul Graham, one of the guys behind Y Combinator, he agrees with this. He said, it's exceptionally rare for startups to be killed by competitors. So rare that you can almost discount the possibility. So unless you discover a competitor with a sort of lock-in that would prevent users from choosing you, don't discard the idea. Err on the side of doing things where you'll face competitors. Inexperienced founders usually give competitors more credit than they deserve. Whether you succeed depends far more on you than your competitors. So better a good idea with competitors than a bad one without. I think it makes a really good point there that you shouldn't focus on what your competitors are doing. And instead, you should focus on what you need to do in order to better serve your customers. And an example of this is Xbox. So Microsoft entered a market that was pretty much run by Nintendo and Sony. And when they entered this market, everyone called them absolutely crazy. You know, they they said, this is never going to work. They're just going to waste a load of money. Nintendo and Sony pretty much have the whole market wrapped up and that's how it is. But as we kind of know from history that that's not how it went. Microsoft saw a gap in the market. Monopolies can become complacent because they held the market shares that they did they were confident that they could just keep doing what they were doing without really being that innovative. One of the main things that Microsoft focused on with the Xbox was making it easier for developers. This was a huge pain point for both Nintendo and Sony platforms was that they were just saying, well, here's some hardware and go out and write games on it. So Microsoft really worked hard to make something that was better and more fun to design and develop games on. Yeah, and consoles are a two-sided marketplace. So there's the game makers and there's the players. And it's interesting that Xbox decided to really try and make the game makers' lives better, which will then make it more likely that they have better games, which will then attract more players to come and play on the console. And with two-sided marketplaces, you can do that sort of thing. You can say, here's one side of it, and I'm going to focus on making their lives better in this way. And that can then help the whole marketplace grow. Yeah, especially if your competitors are focused on the other side of that marketplace as well. But I think it's important to say how Microsoft did. You know, Microsoft didn't just come in and capture the whole market and become a monopoly inside it. That's unlikely to happen if you are the underdog. Interestingly, they lost $4 billion on their first console. It was a hyper-competitive market that Sony and Nintendo were long-time players in. And to get competitive, they lost a lot of money. But nowadays, they've created a business that's worth a lot more than that. Another important thing to consider when looking at competition is that your product will evolve over time, just as your competitors did. So don't look at them and go, I'm going to need all of the features that they've currently got. So a good example of this is Facebook. If you look at what Facebook was when it first started, it was 
essentially hot or not, but for Harvard students. And what it is now is the social network that killed MySpace, which was the biggest social network at the time. Yeah, it's a good point. Because if you look at the Facebook we know now, the core features of that being profiles, user-controlled friend networks, and a messaging service, that was all present in Friendster, which launched in 2002, which is two years before Zuckerberg took his hot or not style service and turned it into what Facebook became, which is the social network we know now. So two years before Zuckerberg was doing that, people were already doing pretty much the same sort of thing, but for some reason they didn't execute on it quite right, or it wasn't quite the right timing, and it didn't take off as Facebook has done now. And that timing factor can be quite an important point. Bill Gross, the founder at Idea Lab, did a TED talk and he did an investigation to try and find out what the single biggest reason was why startups succeeded. And he looked at the idea, he looked at the team, the business model, the funding and the timing. And it turned out that timing was the biggest factor in someone's success. It wasn't the idea or the team, but it was, was the market ready for it? Was the market at a place where it could accept that? And it's interesting because before Facebook and before Friendster and before MySpace, there was a website called classmates.com, which was created back in 1995. And it was a social network for helping old classmates reconnect. Very similar to what we have on Facebook now, where you have a bunch of old classmates and a bunch of old friends connecting on there. And you can see the similarity there quite clearly. But in 95, that idea didn't become a billion dollar company that totally transformed the way humans interact and communicate and stay in touch. But in 2004, Facebook did. They took that idea with the right team. But most importantly, it was the right timing that brought about about their success, that the market was ready for Facebook. It was ready to use a social network like that to connect with everyone. And that's basically what Bill Gross is saying, is that timing is the biggest factor in a company's success. So we've been talking about how competition isn't always killer, but there is a counter argument to that. Something that Peter Till brings up in his book Zero to One is that competitive markets destroy profits. What he means by that is that often in a highly competitive market, People will compete on price, therefore driving down the amount of profit you can make per customer, but also driving up the cost of acquisition. And that makes it hard for a new person to join that market. Yeah, I think that's a good point. In his book, he talks about how to create a successful monopoly, that there's like four main characteristics to that. There's having proprietary technology, there's the network effects, aka virality, there's simple scalability, and there's branding. So these four different areas are what you really want to focus on if you want to become a monopoly. And Peter Thiel's saying that it's much better to be a monopoly without competition for business, because as you say, you won't have to compete on price, you'll have a certain group of technology, you'll have assets that will enable you to charge higher than your competition and rule that market and he's saying that rather than trying to be competitive how about create a monopoly be the one that rules the roost and you can set your rules set your own price and in a sense apple do that with what they're doing in terms of they've got their own suite of products and they just charge what they want for them and people pay it so it really comes down to motivation and your end goal if you want to build a billion dollar startup then really you should be looking to monopolize So another interesting method to look at when talking about competition is the copycat method, the sort of fast follower method where people see an idea and they say, okay, that idea seems good, it's working well for this market or it's working well for that group of people and they try and take that idea and then they try and copy and make their own version of it and try and take some of that market. 
An example of this that I've seen a little bit of, I follow Josh Pigford on Twitter and he's the founder of Bear Metrics. And when Bear Metrics started opening up their revenue stats and showing, okay, they're earning this much money, people started copying them and saying, hey, like it's working for them. I should make this. Like it's not that complicated what they're going on there. Let's build a version of Bear Metrics. And he said tons of different copycats sprang up just trying to take parts of the market. And copycats do take a slice of the market. If you can do it cheaper or differently, there'll be a certain group of people that will happily go along with that and a great example of the copycat method is a company called rocket internet and rocket internet are quite infamous they're often seen as the pantomime villain of startups because they take successful business models and ideas that other people have had and already tested and they bring them to new markets and they're really really good at it they are ruthless at taking successful ideas and bringing them through into a new place and building a successful business on top of that and one of their most famous copycat businesses is HelloFresh. And they say that it was sort of inspired by a Scandinavian service, which did a very, very similar thing, but they just brought it to a new market and changed slightly how the business model worked. Yeah, and they do this a ton. Like, I think this is pretty much all they do. They just take these ideas and they convert them and change them in a little bit and they adapt them to a new market. And the craziest example of this is when the Samwa brothers... Oliver, Mark and Alexander started with Alando, which is the first product they made, and it's a German version of eBay. So the remarkable thing about this is that they sold Alando to eBay for $50 million. At the time, they were in their mid-20s, and they built and sold this startup in less than 100 days. That's mental. That's absolutely mental. That's like $500,000 a day. It's ridiculous. I wish my day rate was that good. Yeah, and they did the same with City Deals. They started it in 2010 and they sold it to Groupon for $170 million five months later. Yeah, that is even more crazy. That is over a million dollars a day. I think you'd be hard pushed to get a better day rate return than that. So the thing to take away from today's episode is that competition isn't always a bad thing. And more often than not, it's going to be a good thing for you. It helps you validate your idea. If someone else has already built a product that does something similar and people are paying them to use that, then there's a good chance that what you're looking to build, people will pay you to use as well. There is a flip side to that, which is if you're looking at building a billion dollar business or you're not looking to go down that hyper competitive route, then maybe look for an area, look for a market that is easier to get into where there is less competition. And finally, there's always the copycat option. You can be the person that builds Uber for Inuits in the Arctic. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. You can find this week's show notes at hitreply.co slash seven. You can subscribe to the podcast at hitreply.co slash subscribe. And we'd like to know what are your experiences with competition? Have you ever seen someone create something that you were hoping to create and given up on it? Hit reply and let us know. 